a podcast brought to you by Energy Live News. It's Friday, it's four o'clock, and I have the world's worst tash. Anyway, how are you? Welcome, podcasters. The reason for the tash is obviously Movember, so uh, have a look at it when you see it. And I've got some Italian friends watching today, so ciao for Lena e Federico. E Federico, oggi è tuo compleanno, e buon compleanno, tu sei un molto, molto vecchio stronzo. And that is something that should not be said in public. Anyway, ciao to them. Uh, letter of the week. <laughs> oh, look at that. Well done, Rob. It's on my finger. You. And I mean you. Anyway, so it's all kicking off. Uh, we have had a very, very busy week at ELN Towers, and we've been doing a lot of stuff. Also, lots of stuff that's been going on post the expo. So if you came to that, many thanks. It was an absolutely brilliant event last week and uh, we really enjoyed putting it on for you. And we've got so much content. There's tons of it, isn't there, Johnny? Oh, Busy writing it. So much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, there is lots of content coming out over the next few uh, weeks. We're going to um, stagger it out rather than give you loads of it in one go because Rob gets very annoyed if I do. Don't you? <coughs> yeah. Okay. So let's move on with our story of the week and it is this. Demand side response. Now, you may know what that means. If you don't, it's very simple. Demand side response means that when there is a need in the energy system, whether it's the, the grid needs more power, whatever, then it says, can we have some please from people who are using it? Generally, big businesses, big factories. And so what you have is the demand side looks for a response, and that is you giving power to them and you get money for it. Anyway, all of that. It's pretty simple. So demand side response or DSR is very, uh, very popular and we've got a whole section on it on our website uh, from our friends at NPower. You can see lots of stuff that's going on around DSR and it's going to become a very big part of where our energy future is because without doubt, as we have more and more power closures on the kind of fossil fuel side, you're going to get a position where you're going to have a problem with demand. Whether you have more sort of input by, uh, you know, importing gas and that sort of stuff, but whatever happens, businesses will be using DSR more and more in the grid and the energy system is built around it. So what's happened this week is a proposition has come out uh, call for a code of conduct for DSR. It'll be called Flex Assure. Uh, so the ADE, the Association of Decentralized Energy, uh, Ofgem, 17 different aggregators, they're all getting together looking at this code. And the reason this code will be important of how you uh, do the response, what's involved, who... Uh, qualifies, how you make sure that you're not uh, sort of causing problems to the system. There's many things that a code of conduct would be needed for. That's because they predict by 2035, okay, so that's not that far off. You're looking at perhaps 16% of our energy needs could be coming from other businesses. So you think about that, nearly one-fifth of our energy within 10, 15, 15 years could be coming from your fellow businesses. So if you don't know that you're gonna get the power at the right time, if there aren't certain rules that uh, allow uh, the guarantee that when the, the grid needs it, you're gonna provide it, we could be in a bit of a state. And the code will look at sort of five specific areas, including marketing, sales, kind of how it provides power. I think this is a very, very important thing because without doubts, we are heading towards a much more fractionated energy future. It'll be much more diverse and there will be plenty of this demand side response that will be needed to power it. So you'll need to make sure 
that you know it's coming. You know, suppliers have to give you a, uh, a supply according to off-gem rules, otherwise they can't get a supply license. So if you suddenly start thinking that actually your power is going to come from your neighbouring factory or your big uh, supermarket or even perhaps uh, businesses altogether, like we are in a small kind of block of businesses here, maybe we've all got together and share power, then you need to make sure that when you get it, it's the right power, it's all sorted and you're getting the, the, the supply you need when you need it. So there need to be rules and I think this is a step in the right direction. Our next story is one that we've been covering so much. I mean, God, it might as well be called energy fracking news. So, fracking. So, uh, protests on fracking. We've all seen them. We've covered them for years. You can see here, there loads of them that have gone on for the last oh, probably five years. And, of course, the last couple of weeks, we've had a lot of stuff with Quadrilla. We've had the whole kind of Quadrilla having the licence, having the, uh, the fracking, having some minor tremors, stopping it, getting it, stopping it. And then last week... We had the story of us producing the first sort of uh, fracked gas in this country. Now, fracking is a contentious issue. Or is it? Because the latest uh, energy department, Business Energy Industrial Strategy, BES, uh, Public Attitude Tracker, I think that sounds great, actually. So this tracker, and they call it the 26th wave. I know there's a film called The Fifth Wave, and the 26th wave is weird. Anyway, so this is the 26th wave of gauging uh, response. You quite like this film, aren't you? You just keep playing it on a loop. You're such an idiot. Anyway, the, uh, so they've basically done this new survey which says, oh, hang on a second, 4,000 households were surveyed, and in September last year, 36% were concerned about fracking. That's dropped to 31%. 15% now support it. And the best, this is the, this is the one, half of them have no view at all. And that's pretty much it. So that's a, that kind of says where we are. And it's interesting that this whole thing about, God, everyone hates fracking. Well, do they really? And it was a question that came up uh, from a sort of a, a journalist asked this question at our expo last week. And there was a good, I think, a very robust and honest response from uh, Claire Perry, our energy minister. So just watch this clip. Thank you, Shortly. it's Emily Goldstone from The Times. Thanks for coming to me for a question, Claire. Um, just to follow up on Jeremy's question about fracking, um, Francis at Quadrilla is saying very specifically this morning that they will not even be able to complete the tests that they want to do unless you raise the limit for the earthquake uh, kind of red light boundary and that almost certainly the industry won't be viable unless you increase the, uh, the limit in the longer term. Okay. So will you look at reviewing that within the next few weeks so they can complete their tests? Look, we will review this uh, as I think Sir Ed Davey in his written ministerial statement originally said, we've set the guidelines like this. Uh, we clearly need to look at this when we get into an operational state. Um, but it would be a very foolish politician who would do things that would be considered to be relaxing regulatory standards when we are trying to reassure people about safety. So this is clearly an important conversation to have. Um, but I would love to encourage you and your colleagues, when you're reporting this stuff, to report the facts. I find headlines like shale rips through safety standards, that wasn't one of yours, that was a colleague elsewhere, it's just a bit crazy, and it's kind of scaring. You know, what, why would we be doing this? It, you know, I mean, I understand, and I'm actually rather very impressed with some of the NGO campaigning. I think it's probably quite a good way of fundraising to have a campaign like this that you can keep going at. Um, but honestly speaking, we, we have an opportunity here that we need to soberly test the science. You will see the incredibly eminent scientists who, who were behind the original report. And my final point on this is I'm frequently asked to go out and defend the science of climate change. 
when I say, but the scientists have said to us that this industry is sustainable and safe and important, somehow that's just a load of rubbish and I'm in hock to the fossil fuel industry. So I just don't think you can have it both ways. If we trust the facts, we trust the facts, and we don't make energy policy set on ideology. So there you go. And I think uh, Claire Perry was right because, <clears throat> you know, she uh, got a lot of stick for um, uh, a comment she made in Parliament saying the majority of people, are, you know, are against fracking. That is not true. Well, she's right. It is not true. And don't get me wrong, right? I do think there are lots of questions to be asked about fracking. And we will continue to do stories that say that it's wrong. Absolutely. But we should also do stories that say the benefits of it. We should give a balanced view. And every time we do a story about fracking and we show something like this. So this is a best study, right? So we're reporting a government study. God, did we get hammered by loads of, oh, my God, why are you publicising this, you bunch of evil sods? Calm down, people, all right? If you want power, one of the ways to get it is from fracked gas because that will give us energy independence. Are there safety issues around it? Yes, there are. Are they being looked at? Yes, there are. And you heard there from the minister. She's not going to change the regulations. You know, they've set them because of what's happened when, in the past. So I think we should look at this fracking thing with a bit more calmness. And the trouble is, it's one of those things that becomes so emotive that people can't see the reality of the science. They're just so obsessed with emotion. And I think if you took that out of it, that would be an interesting thing. And at the end of the day, as we say, 50% of people don't give a damn either way. So there we go. And then finally, something for the nerds, particularly for Robert in the corner. Uh, Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. Cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin, if you don't know what it is, oh, God, I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of a made-up thing, made up by a Japanese bloke that's worth loads of money, but no, it isn't. And it's going to make you money. There's not. But anyway, everyone's mining this stuff. So what they do is they generate... Rob likes that explanation. Yeah, well, he's supposed to be Japanese, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, right, shut up. It's not your bit now, anyway. So, they basically, to make bitcoins, and our nerd factor will correct me, I'm sure, but you basically have to uh, generate them using your computer. You have to make some program. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, the program has to be made. And what is the computer doing? Started for one tier. What does it use? It's no, what's it use? Oh, electricity. Hurrah! It uses electricity. <sighs> Tia's doing really well this week. She's been really uh, interesting stuff about how she uh, takes information in. Anyway, so cryptocurrencies need to be mined. That means the computers have to be on and they have to produce these things. And these things use energy. In fact, they use so much energy. Get this. The energy cost of mining a bit of Bitcoin, $1, is 17 megajoules. That means nothing to you and me either, yeah? But... To mine gold, so going in and digging gold out somewhere takes five megajoules of energy. So you're looking at something that's nearly three times more energy intensive than digging gold. And they've said that uh, uh, the carbon footprint, I don't know where you got this from, Johnny, but it's, it's a great bit, or he made it up. Uh, cryptocurrencies mined in China. The carbon footprint is bigger than the footprint of Canada. Now, I know Canada's got a lot of moose and not much else, but still, that is pretty hefty. So, it does show you that even all this kind of, oh, let's trade with cryptocurrencies, it's so clean, you don't have print, you don't have to print money and all that stuff with, you know, huge print works. These things use energy. Whatever we say, whatever we're doing, we're using energy. And 
I think we have to look at this because, frankly, I think Bitcoin's a bit of a kind of bit bullshit. Uh, but hey, people are into it. They can do their stuff. But perhaps they should look at how much energy, because one of the biggest things, and we've covered it so many times, is the energy footprint of IT. It's enormous, which is why I moan to this lot about turning their computers off at night, don't I? Mm. Mm, there we go. Enough said. Right. He tried to interrupt a bit earlier. It's the banter box. Okay, that's good. Hello. How's your little mole rat moustache? It's coming on. It's looking it's a terrible. bit creepy. It is creepy, actually. Uh, before we start talking about your bit, yeah. uh, the Bitcoin thing. Yeah, I lost a lot of money. Obviously. Yeah. It's stupid, isn't it? Well, yeah, it turns out... No, no, well. not the Bitcoin bit. The energy bit of it. It's stupid. You think about it. Oh, yeah, there's no such thing as a free dinner. No, exactly. Uh, and it is something that people definitely don't take into consideration. No. Uh, but actually, I, you, you do what you like with the Bitcoin. I, I'm not having my views on it, but I just think the amount of energy that takes to pull this stuff out is huge. Yeah, but like you said, all IT uses a huge amount, like all these server rooms and data rooms, yeah. even just storing like a big company's data uh, uses an incredible amount of money. But no, the actual thing I found most interesting in that story wasn't yes. even anything to do with Bitcoin. Which was? It said that aluminium uh, is actually about 30 times, I think, that yes. figure's wrong, but it's in the ballpark area. Yeah. It's about 30 times as energy intensive to mine as gold or Bitcoin. There we go. Okay, but we were talking about Bitcoin. Yeah, but we make cans out of uh, aluminium willy-nilly and chuck them away. That's a lot Let's of not do that. Yeah. And talking of pollution, mm -hmm. that was a good link there. It was, as always. We always we're going to talk links. about porky kids. You can't call them fat these days. So I thought Porky would be quite good. Porky's probably worse, I'd say. Is it really? Uh, <laughs> really? Okay. Children who are slightly higher on BMI. Yes. So the University of Southern California UCLA. Gathered, gathered up 2,000 fatties. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's just wrong. No, gathered up 2,000 children. Who, who were uh, rather, some of rather whom, large. Some of whom were rather large and some yes. of whom were rather small. And every, okay. all the children in between as well. Uh, and they conducted tests on them <laughs> to, see where they'd been, to see where they'd been born, uh, to yes. see what their diets yes. were, and to see whether they live next to pollution-covered roads. And? Uh, so basically they found out that kids that either are living in a house that's right next to a busy main road, so there's loads of pollution, mm -hmm. or they go to school there, or yep. they're there for whatever reason a lot in the first year of their life. Um, basically, by the, if you're there for the first year in heavy pollution, yes. by the time you're 10, on average, kids are a kilogram heavier, which is quite a lot. Okay. Yes. Keep going. And so the scientists said uh, they don't actually know why this is the case. So it could, <sighs> in my opinion, it could come down to a lot of factors, like the people that live near... No, this has nothing to do with the pollution, is well, it? Well, so, so the scientists are saying it can cause inflammation of the brain, which can okay. give you anxiety over eating, and also can change... Whoa, your, no, whoa, no, whoa. And also it can change how your body me metabolises fat. Information okay, well that bit I don't know about, but I would think there's a pretty simple correlation. Generally, yeah. people who live next lower to pollution have lower incomes. Yeah. And lower income people, unfortunately now, so many, and I can see why it happens, people buy the cheapest food. Mm. And the cheapest food, sadly, is always fast food. Chicken nuggets. Although, sweet potatoes ain't, ain't that expensive. Yeah, Freddie uh, Freddie lives on three quid a day, he told me. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, I agree with you, to be honest. But I think there probably maybe is a connection. There, maybe there is something about the brain bit, though, because I, I don't know, because God yeah. knows what's in all the 
crap that we're breathing in every day anyway. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I think the anxiety overeating thing might not be such a factor. But yeah, the changes in fat metabolism, mm. they say nitrogen dioxide can affect your brain in that way. So. so it's not me, it's the air I breathe. Yeah, there's always an excuse for everything nowadays. Excellent. <laughs> fat air. Excellent. Well done, yeah. Rob. Uh, moving on. Yes. And we know that the air is bad. No, I'm trying to do a link. That's what we do in this thing. Alex Gilbert's here. (sighs) We know that the air is bad above ground, but what about below ground? (laughs) So, the tube. Mm -hmm. Now, going back to it. The tube obviously does take us all... Around. Around. Yeah. And you... The northern line, thank you guys. You know that it's very important about how we get around... And how we decarbonise it. Yep, it is. And Alex, who I interviewed last week at Expo, said this. I think by 2040 we'll have a completely green transport network for London. So we have to be zero carbon TfL rail by 2030. Wow. We have a massive target here by 2030. And is TfL rail, rail transport, is, that, is that the tube or rail means overground? Oh no, all of it. Sorry, all yeah, of that, it. that's all of that. Wow. Yeah. So... Um, to get all of the transport will be challenging, but I, uh, the thing with a lot of it is once you tick one, I think yeah. a huge amount of that will follow. And with EVs, obviously, electric, I mean, I just used it in there, kind of rocket science is easier than this. I mean, electrifying London, yeah. the amount of variables. Crazy. As soon as you start talking, someone will go, but what about Uber and rideshare and whatever? Yeah. But what about, you know, everyone should just do car sharing. Yeah, so it's very important that we cut those emissions, I think. Uh, not just from the underground, as he was saying, but, you know, from TfL's whole... Yeah, but 2030 is, you know, that's not 12 years from now. Mm. To try and get... That's a bro- bold and brave statement. Yeah, but we were talking the other day. Bertie's been on the electric buses already yes. that they're rolling out. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the tears on the DLR all the time. That's electric, is it not? Or at yeah. least... Uh, no, no, I think there cleaner. are some diesel bits, but... So it's heading generally. in that direction. Yeah. Uh, and I think... I don't know, for some reason I think TfL, you know, it's one of those organisations that could do that. Oh, it would be brilliant. I mean, if we could literally, I mean, around the corner from us we've got a charging point mm. and quite regularly I see that uh, black um, electric taxi. Yeah, yeah. So he's there, yeah. which is great, and I think that sort of stuff is brilliant. Mm. And if we do have electric self-driving cars, then that, that's all part of the kind of, you know, he's talking about taxis and Ubers he was talking about there. there. Yeah. Um, but what did you think about the whole kind of, you know, decarbonisation challenge facing transport because that's one of the biggest ones isn't it yeah i think and it's also one of as, the a, most... as a regular user of transport yeah it doesn't work all the time <laughs> uh yeah uh well i think transport's quite neglected as well to be honest because obviously everyone talks about uh you know solar panels on your house Decarbonizing and power, using yeah. renewable energy that's like one of the catchwords. and we also have the whole anti-plastic thing going on at the moment but most of these people that you know even all these eco warriors most of them are still driving around in petrol and diesel cars so I think transport is one area that people kind of forget uses so much energy and causes pollution, um, even though it's probably the most obvious one. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that's an optimistic goal, but hopefully they'll achieve it. Let us hope so. Yeah. Moving on. Yep. so, OK. Well, moving smoothly on. Uh, some way that emissions could be reduced in Russia yes. is because they've come up with this really great idea um, that sounds completely foolproof to me. They're building a, nu- a floating nuclear power I station. love this. Make me small. Make us small. It's actually built already. That looks amazing. You wouldn't believe that it's built in 2018, would you? That looks like it was built in 1942. Yeah. <laughs> That's a beast, though. So what is it, then? The Titanic is infinitely more aerodynamic than that. How um, can you have an aerodynamic boat, you fool? With a point at the front? That's like a two bricks. 
Um, Streamlined is the word you're looking for. No, but you still have the oh, above. Anyway, get on with it. What, so what? I'm, I'm going to die on that hill. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what, what, is the, what is this boat? Tell okay, so this is the catchly named Academic Lomonosov. Nice. Yeah, well that said. was quite good, actually. Uh, and yeah, it's a floating nuclear power station. Uh, it's got two 35 megawatt nuclear reactors aboard. It looks like it's already kind of rusting, but, uh, and it weighs 20,000 tons. It's being towed to the most northernmost city in Russia, which is the city of uh, Minsk. No. Mimensk. Mimensk. No. Quebec. Pavek. Yeah, and so they're towing it there, uh, where they say for the near future it's going to be anchored. Uh, because I think it would be quite hard to actually build a nuclear power station in these outermost reaches. So I think it's brilliant. So they're building one in the, you know... It just looks great, though, doesn't it? Civilization and towing it there. All it needs is some big guns at the front. No, it doesn't, but I'm just saying, it looks amazing. If you uh, get a chance, if you're a podcaster, yeah. have a look at it. It's I wouldn't just... go anywhere near that. But that is quality. So how much power will it produce, do we know? Well, it's got two 35 megawatt reactors. Wow. Yeah, so quite a lot. That is mad. Yeah. Now, do you know... It's um, a tsunami now. No. Uh, We've got a budget horror film. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. Anyway, so uh, there was that series with, you know, I Love Physics, Professor Brian Cox. Oh, yeah, yeah. I stood next to him in an immigration queue in Did an airport in Cancun. Did he say, all right, I Love Physics, can you get me through? Uh, no, but he was... I don't really watch his TV, but he was—he seemed like a very down-to-earth man. And he was in, in, case a, in a terrible 90s band called D-Ream. But anyway, what I was on the telly last night on BBC4, mm. an intellectual like me watches that sometimes. Yeah. And they had a bit which I think we'd go and love to film, which is, uh, it's called, I think it's the National uh, Fusion Gallery or something like that. Anyway, mm. it's, a, it's an installation in America where they're trying to do nuclear fusion. Yeah. And this thing about a kind of, you know, Finding different ways of doing nuclear power mm. without the big kind of huge kind of build somewhere. Yeah, it's it's becoming more and more. You know, it's running yeah, in tandem as well. There's, yeah, there's, there's, in, it's even in the UK. There's the uh, yeah, Prince William went to the Cullen Science Centre in exactly. Oxford, I think. But uh, this thing is a beast. Yep. So one of those generators aboard is actually already generating nuclear power. So that is operational. And they what? They'll tow it there and then they'll just plug it into the grid, sort of thing. Yeah, and they say it's going to permanently be there. And they didn't say this, but my guessing is why they've made a floating nuclear power station is because they can't build it up there even though there's power demand oh yeah they of course. can't get all the kit up yeah, yeah of so course. they build it there and bring it uh but theoretically if in 10 years time this is still operational yeah uh and the power is needed somewhere else they should be able to tow it elsewhere yeah. i'm amazed yeah the future's here russia right now don't do that one yet because we do oh is that in your running order is scottish power next in your running order Oh, right, you might as well do it now, then. Yeah, we can, can't deviate from the script. No, come on, then. Okay, so... Moving on to a different form of power. Yep. Yeah. Oh, God, we're doing renewables, nuclear coal. Look at this. Watch this, guys. Whoa! So, for podcasters, we're seeing some towers being blown up. Amazing. Empty towers. Yeah, so what are they? Explain. Uh, those are old towers from a coal power station. Uh, and the, cap the coal power station is called Long Annet. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it's a Scottish power. Play, play again. So good. It's a facility owned by Scottish Power. Yeah. Uh, it closed down two years ago because they're right. shifting to renewables. So yep. they're kind of phasing out from coal as it's, it's incredible. everyone at the moment. Shows you the build of these things. They're huge. Yeah. That's kind of the end of the coal industry. You just watch this all going down. It's amazing. This last shot is just brilliant. Look at this. Look at that. Wait, look when it goes. Bam, bam, bam. Whoa. 
a lot easier to decommission than uh, things like, you know, nuclear Of course, yeah, yeah. To close out those and things. so this is all part of Scottish Power, because, I mean, they're moving, as we heard, mm. a few weeks ago. Well, everyone's going green. But they are. You did the story. Well, we do lots of stories about Scottish Power. <laughs> 100% 100% renewable Scottish yes. 100% power God help Well that seems that's, that's an era ago that oh, story Oh god Do you know man. how many stories I've yeah, But it doesn't matter then? You're Thousands. supposed to remember this stuff oh, yeah. they, they know that already They're clued up You're dumbing down for the audience No okay alright fine Okay so they're shifted to 100% green power yes. uh, So obviously they know that they're not going to fire this up again Because it's yeah. been closed for a few years so Do, they, they thought, do we know where they're going to build this? Uh, no it didn't say anything about what they're going to actually build on the site No Maybe they'll build some nice houses. Yeah. I'd quite to live on a site of a power station. Wouldn't it be cool, wouldn't it? It'd be like, That's wow. a power station, maybe? God, get in there. Right, is that it for you? Unfortunately, yes. Well, you can stick around, because we'll do the, the last bits oh, together, because uh, there's nothing for you to do, and you're useless anyway, so. Uh, right. Elpa. Ta-da. Elpa 2017 was a smash. You enjoyed it, didn't you? Oh, yes, that's how I was confused. I thought I said Elf 2018. Uh, yes, it was very good. Um, yeah, everyone had a good time. I had a good time. It's a party. It was a party. And it's happening again on? The Silver Sturgeon. On which on the date? 6th of December. Well done, Jonathan. I'm, Excellent. I'm learning. You are. Look, there's George doing his bit there. Who was that? That was George. I don't know who he is. Uh, it's just, yeah, I'm having a drink. I've never been on a boat party before. So Have you I'm not? Quite well, look, I mean, this. we went on it today just to check out, and I checked out the food today. It's going to be amazing. So look at that. You'll be on that on the 6th of December. But you can only be on it if you get yourself a ticket. So our short list is out. So can we go through how we're going to vote? Let's uh, move on to that a little bit. So you'll see that our Energy Life Personality uh, Awards are actually up on our site. Go along, and as Robert Shane, just scroll down, and you'll find there are, I think, nine personalities you can vote for. Choose one you want, and then just click on it, and you'll see a list of names, and you just click which ones you want to vote for. Well, you can I'm vote. As, on there. You're not on there, no. You can vote for as many as you like, but you can only vote once. So I'd encourage you to do so. Uh, our list of nominations are on the site now. Get involved, and obviously, good luck to all the other people in the other categories. Mm. Uh, we're going to have a pretty backbone, and you can still buy tickets. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm it is going to be great, and you might be doing some hosting. Yeah, hopefully. God help us, but actually, you might be Occupedo. Eh? I might be Occupedo, absolutely. Mm. So, uh, get yourselves along to that sixth of December. Make sure you are there. Right. Uh, before we go, a couple of things. We're going to talk about Diwali, aren't we? What's yes. That? There we go. Look, here we go. So. Delhi. Yes. Capital of India. Yes. Covered in smog because of firecrackers. Oh, and probably all this traffic. India's quite polluted anyway. It is. Uh, but yeah, Di Diwali or Diwali? Diwali, Diwali. Diwali. I'll go with the English one. Go, go on. uh, yeah. So they have firecrackers that are apparently traditional. Yes. Uh, where Fireworks. Children, yeah. middle-aged people, old people all use these firecrackers. Uh, but obviously, if every person in an incredibly populated city uses mm. three firecrackers, it results in smoke. Uh, yeah, well, we have loads like of fireworks. And Chaya, who used to work here, posted something, didn't she? Yeah, so Chaya was here, unfortunately. Hi, Chaya, if you're watching. India. Yeah, hopefully you're watching. Uh, but she basically made a post on Instagram that was complaining about the amount of people. She's been good on Insta. That, yeah, she is. Social media guru. Well, well, we're hoping someone will be replacing that. But then again, attention to detail. Lacking. Yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, there is. A th uh, do you know what? We had fireworks here just on Monday, didn't we? Mm. And it's all great, but there is an element about the, the amount of 
the smell in the morning afterwards from the gunpowder yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, the fireworks and bonfires are bad enough, but I think if you've got whole cities setting off firecrackers, every one person thinks, oh, it's not enough to make a difference. But yes. it uh, adds up pretty quickly, and you can okay. see from the smoke there. I was going to do shout-outs, but Freddie's in the other room, so pointless, really. Yeah. Except for Corcoran. Corcoran, where's your tash for this month? Uh, he likes the facial hair, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He's a bit of a facial hair, that's for sure. Um, and that's it, apart from it is world... Frida! Oh, that is brilliant, Robert. I don't believe that. Make it small. Look. There we go. You'll fight for your freedom. Mel Gibson. Yeah. Playing? He's a wig. Oh, no. What's that? Uh, uh, yeah, Mel Gibson. Braveheart. Yes. Yeah, an incredible... And, and his real name was? 100% William Wallace. Well done. Uh, come oh, on. Oh, amazed by that. Come on. So it's Freedom Day. Yeah. Are you feeling free? Uh, I will at 5pm. <laughs> I've got 48 hours of freedom from drag back from How dare you? Um, you are also free in this place. Yeah, I, free, I let you. You are like the free-range journos and production people. Mm. I should cage you, but you're just free yeah. and you're out and about. So there you go, Freedom Day. If you're locked up, try and be free today. Yeah. If you're feeling a bit kind of... Closed in. If there's territorial conflict over border, like yeah. William Wallace, and yeah, Freedom Day, paint your face and go get free. Freedom. Get free. Yeah. And, uh, Great love story in that film as well. Is it? Not yeah. really. Yeah, it is. They, they, spin, they the spin the love aspect. Do they? Yeah. I just love the bit at the end where he's just like pulled apart on the um, thingy. Yeah. You see not, his gizzards. Yeah, his gizzards. all over the shop. <laughs> they, were, they were not free. Uh, that's it. Uh, got anything planned for the weekend? Well, it's going to be a four-day weekend for me, so... Oh, yeah, you're away. It's going to be one big party. Uh-huh. And uh, are you doing something lovely with your lovely lady? Of course. Yeah, OK. So, and Doris is happy with that. that though. Yeah, Doris is happy. What about Elena? What's she going to do? <laughs> hey! Uh, uh, uh. On that bombshell, we will see him later next week. We have got lots of going on this week coming up, including a film that will be done by Tia. She's going to be filming a power station. God help us. Three shots. That's Three shots. Need. That's all she is. Sequences. <laughs> uh, and Rob will be doing something in Potato Land, will you? No, he'll be looking at potatoes somewhere, though. There we go. Have a great weekend. Adios. Adios.